Part three, chapter eighteen of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Part three, chapter eighteen. For three days, or rather three nights, nothing disturbed the peace of the lovers. After the usual prison work, which consisted of separating the dead from the living, and those who were very ill from those who were moderately so, had been completed, and after the tired jailers had gone to sleep in the corridors, Vinitius would enter the dungeon in which Lygia was, and remain there until the dawn. She put her head on his breast, and in low voices they conversed of love and death by degrees their thoughts and conversation even their desires and hopes turned more and more from life and they lost a realizing sense of it both were like people who having left the land behind them in a ship see the shore no more and go out gradually into the infinite both were transformed by degrees into sad spirits enamored of each other and of christ and ready to fly away only at times did pain, like a storm, enter the breast of Vinitius. At times, like lightning, there flashed through him a hope, born of love and faith in the mercy of the crucified God, but more and more he abstracted his mind from the world and turned his thoughts to death. In the morning, when he emerged from the prison, he regarded the world, the city, his friends, and all the affairs of life as though in a dream everything seemed to him strange distant empty and vain even torture ceased to terrify him since it might be passed through with thoughts and eyes fixed on other things both he and lygia felt as if already they were entering eternity they talked about how they would love each other and live together beyond the grave if their thoughts turned sometimes toward worldly things, it was as the thoughts of people who, setting out for a long journey, discussed the preparations for the road. Moreover, they were surrounded by a silence such as might surround two columns standing forgotten in the solitude of a desert. They desired only that Christ should not separate them, and as every moment strengthened the faith of both, they loved him as a link which was to unite them in infinite bliss and repose though still on earth the dust of earth fell from them their souls became pure as tears with death staring them in the face environed by misery and suffering yea in that very prison heaven had begun for she had taken him by the hand and had led him as one already saved and sainted towards the source of eternal life Petronius was astonished to see on the face of Vinitius an expression of calmness and marvellous serenity which he had never noticed before. At times he imagined that Vinitius must have evolved some plan of rescue, and was piqued that he had not confided in him. Finally he could stand it no longer, and said, Thou hast the look of another man. Keep no secrets from me, for I desire and am able to help thee. What is thy plan? I have a plan, answered Vinitius, but thou canst not help me. After her death I will confess I am a Christian, and then I shall follow her. Hast thou then no hope? Oh, yes, Christ will give her back to me, and afterwards we shall never be parted. Petronius paced up and down the room with an air of disapproval and impatience. Thou dost not need Christ for this, he said at last, for our own Thanatos can render the same service. Vinitius smiled sadly and said, No, my friend, thou dost not understand. 
I do not want to, and I cannot. This is not a time for argument. But dost thou remember thine own words after we failed to rescue her from the Tullianum? I lost all hope, but after we returned home, thou didst say, Still I believe that Christ will restore her to me. Let him restore her now. Should I cast a costly goblet into the sea, no one of our gods could restore it to me. If thy god is also powerless, why should I honor him above the ancient ones? But he will restore her to me, said Vinitius. Petronius made a gesture of impatience. Dost thou know, he asked, that tomorrow Caesar's garden will be illuminated with Christians? Tomorrow, repeated Vinitius, and in a face of a near and dread reality his heart was shaken with agony and apprehension. He thought that this night might be the last which he could pass with Lygia. So, taking leave of Petronius, he hastened to get his credentials from the overseer of the pits. But a disappointment was in store for him, for the overseer refused to give it to him. Pardon me, master, he said. I have done what I could for thee, but I cannot risk my life. Tonight they will take the Christians to the gardens of Caesar. The prison will be filled with soldiers and officials. Should they recognize thee, I and my family would perish. Vinitius saw that it would be vain to insist. He hoped, however, that the soldiers, who had seen him before, would admit him without the credentials. So, when night approached, he disguised himself in the tunic that he had formerly worn, and with covered head wended his way toward the prison, only to find that on this day the credentials were scrutinized with particular care. What was more, the centurion Scevinus, a strict disciplinarian, devoted entirely to Caesar, recognized Vinitius but evidently in his heart, beneath his steel armor, there yet beat some compassion for misfortune. Instead of striking his spear against his shield as an alarm, he pulled Vinitius aside and said, Master, go home. I recognize thee, but not wishing thy death I shall keep silent. I cannot admit thee. Go thou hence, and may the gods console thee. Thou canst not admit me, said Vinitius, but suffer me to remain here and watch those who are led forth. I have no orders against that, said Scevinus. Vinitius stood before the gate and waited till the prisoners should appear. At last, about midnight, the gates were thrown open, and there appeared long lines of prisoners, men, women, and children, surrounded by armed detachments of praetorians. The night was very bright, for the moon was full, and it was easy to identify not only the forms, but the faces of the unfortunates. They marched in pairs, in a long, gloomy procession, amidst silence broken only by the din of weapons. So many were led forth that it seemed as if all the dungeons must be emptied. Towards the end of the procession Vinitius caught a glimpse of Glaucus the physician, but he did not see either Lygia or Ursus among the condemned. End of Part 3, Chapter 18